Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. All right, so if you got a Bible, I need to grab uh, one of these that are often in the pews. And uh, I just want to share a few things with you this morning just to give some context of where we find ourselves. Because I think the worst injustice we could do right now in this country is to pretend like life is as it always has been and life will always be as it always had been. That's probably the most dangerous thing we could do. So I just want to share with you a few, few different statistics just to give you a pulse. Because I would tell you, some of my friends are telling me, this has been the greatest six months of my life. I have never made so much money. It has been the busiest time of my life. Wow. That may sound foreign, right? Because you know we have other friends. This has been hell on earth. My future is uncertain. I have no idea what's going on. Then you have the terror of all of us getting sick and dying. You have all these different things. So there's, there's maybe two, reality, uh, two realities taking place right now. Here's a few statistics. The CDC, <clears throat> 25% of youth during COVID have, have considered suicide. That's wild. This is, they, they included down to 10-year-olds. <clears throat> Washington Post, 42% increase in the month of May, year over year, of overdoses in the United States. Domestic abuse is skyrocketing. Uh, Bloomberg talks about the rent and mortgage crisis. One-third of Americans missed their July payment of rent or their mortgage. And they ask these same people, they've been tracking these since March, will you be paying or do you think you'll be able to pay your August mortgage or rent? One-third says, no, I don't think so. So that's a reality we at least need to consider. That's the U.S. Census Bureau who did that study. Uh, As of two weeks ago, we've now seen an end of the $600 a week boost to unemployment. So that's kind of a new reality that we're in in the last two weeks. Uh, The eviction moratorium ended two weeks ago. So now landlords can say, okay, now you're not paying your rent. It's time to go. They couldn't do that for the last few months. Then we have some other interesting things, if you've seen these. Uh, The coin shortage. It's like, what happened to all of our coins in the last few months? Did they go on vacation? Where have they gone? Did we figure out we needed the metal to build something that none of us realized? But you've probably seen it. We need exact change. We have a coin shortage. Some businesses, I saw Pizza Hut and others, uh, we're just going cashless in many locations. Just no more cash. Let's just keep it simple. Cash spreads, germs, no more cash. Our phones, with the latest update, if any of us our uh, <clears throat> users of an iPhone, our phones notified us, we will now begin tracking your contacts, contact tracing. So we will know if you've come in contact with somebody who's sick. Now, that all sounds good. Well, the last part of it, okay, yeah, if you've been in contact with someone sick, you probably know if you have, but regardless, that is a little snapshot Let's just pretend we don't live here and you were just getting a little news bulletin from America. That's a little snapshot from America. Okay, so now let's go to our Bibles. Let's read something interesting. 
Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. We're gonna talk about some 13s today. Revelation chapter 13. And Revelation chapter 13 is a chapter that is maybe one of the most read, studied chapters in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Sadly, it's been abused in so many different ways, but we're going to talk about just one of the little sections of this chapter. This chapter is divided into two parts. The first half talks about a kingdom that existed for a long time, and, and Scripture uses beasts often to describe kingdoms. This second kingdom described here seems to match all of the characteristics of the United States of America. So if you ever wondered, wow, America seems to be this great nation, this superpower, the Bible does speak of America. It has so many reasons to believe that. But in Revelation chapter 13, I want you to go with me down to the end. In the last few verses, it's talking about this power that's going to do some things that involve worship. And then it talks about something pretty interesting. It says in verse 16, talking about this power, he causes all, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor. Now, if this is a a last moment of time concept, the next one's pretty interesting. Free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So this is where people get the the whole discussion of the mark of the beast. And that's that's a different study. Verse 17. So, So why does he cause this? Why does this power have the power, have the ability to cause or force something onto people? Then it says, what's the result of this? Verse 17. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So there's something in here that's describing a power that has the ability to determine whether you can buy or sell. I want you to think about that. What would you need to have that ability? If I was to just come into your life, and I was to say, Jeremy, this week I will be determining whether you buy or sell anything. I probably need to have some way to control your bank account. Probably some way to control your debit cards. It doesn't sound like cash is as easily manipulated and controlled. So you'd have to to get cash off the table, at least it seems. But this power, in some way, and we don't know how it all comes together, how it's all fulfilled, but this power has the ability to tell you what you can buy or sell. So this this is a serious chapter about an empire, and we as Seventh-day Adventists very specifically interpret these things from the Bible, using only the Bible, this is the United States. So in light of that big, big power we're describing here, that this nation here is in prophecy, turn back in the New Testament to Romans. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Okay, here we go. So different versions describe this in different ways. I'm going to read this one out of the King James Version just to see how it reads here. It reads interesting here. Romans chapter 13. Verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. 
For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Verse 4, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. I need somebody to help us interpret what it seems like that's saying. Someone, please. It's talking about the government, and we should what? Submit to the government. Okay, thank you. All right, now I want to read to you. So, you know, we've, we've had lots of people discussing running uh, to be the leader of the nation, right? All right, so I want to read to you someone running to be the leader of the nation. I'm going to quote. This is a quote. Today, Christians stand at the head of this country. I pledge that I never will tie myself to parties who want to destroy Christianity. We want to fill our culture again with the Christian spirit. We want to burn out all the recent immoral developments in literature, in the theater, and in the press. In short, we want to burn out the poison of immorality, which has entered into our whole life and culture and as a result of liberal excess during the past few years. What are your thoughts of this politician running to be the leader of the nation? Would anyone say, yeah, it sounds reasonable? I just need, okay, good, I got a nodding head. That was Adolf Hitler. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Welcome to church. Hitler had just become the leader of our German nation. Now you're telling me you're not going to respect your Bible? Uh-oh. What do we do about that? You see... You can see where prophecy goes, what prophecy says about a nation, how it goes from speaking as a lamb to a dragon. And they believe that as Hitler rose to power. They believe that as Hitler said, I'm a devout Catholic. They believe that as Hitler read or stated these words about the Christian spirit and denouncing the liberal spirit in society. But then, then it all seemed to change. And my question is, what do you do with a verse like that that on the surface seems to say you subject yourself, submit yourself to the governing authorities? What do you do? What do you do if you believe the Bible is inspired, that all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable 
And it goes through the list. For doctrine, for teaching, for instruction, for correction. What do you do when you come across things like this? So first off, I think it's healthy to say that if we read this verse and we consider the circumstances of serving in a nation under Adolf Hitler, which I think is pretty much universally a bad thing, would it be okay to recognize we have a problem? With, if my Bible is saying that, under Adolf Hitler, we have a problem. <clears throat> is that fair to say? Okay. Because then if, if all Scripture is inspired, does all Scripture describe that? Would Scripture consistently say, submit to Pol Pot? Submit to Mussolini. I'm not going to name any current people, just so I don't get myself in too much hot water. Let's start and look. Exodus chapter 1, go with me there. Because if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he's got to be consistent. Jesus continually says, I didn't come to change anything that's ever been written. And we know this is his story in Scripture. He identifies himself as the one on Sinai, as we talked about last week. He identifies himself as the Son of God. Exodus chapter 1. If we know thousands of years later, Paul is going to write some of the most confusing words I've ever read in the Bible then I'd like to know how God's people that God smiles upon through history respond to this idea. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15. Then the king of Egypt, is he the power? Is he the authority? Yes. <clears throat> the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. And verse 16, he says, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, for if it is a son then you shall kill him. Abort the babies right after they're born. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Verse 17, but the midwives, uh-oh, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king is upset. He makes a rule and he says, hey, verse 22, Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born you shall cast into the river, every daughter you shall save alive. We know what the midwives were doing. How about, how about the mother and father of a man named Moses? We, we've got to find some people who would be honorable here. In verses 2 and 3 of Exodus 2 say, so the woman conceived, this is Moses' mom, and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months, already breaking the law. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank, and his sister stood far off to know what would be done. And we know Moses goes traveling down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter picks him up. Go with me to the book of Joshua. This is going to be a two-part message. This morning, I just want to look at the surface of what God's people were doing to respond to this idea through history. Do I submit to the governing authorities? 
So that's what we're looking at this morning. Joshua chapter two, verses one to six. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. This is just a great reminder that God uses everyone. No matter what you have done in your life, and guess what? No, no matter what you're doing in your life, God sometimes says, I need a hooker to save my people. <laughs> and that's what he does here. So in verse 2, it was told the king of Jericho, okay, we got a king involved again, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, he knows where she lives, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. <clears throat> Verse four. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. And then verse 6, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. There is, uh, your honor, jury, there is evidence number two. That, that thing we read in Romans didn't add up to Moses' parents, didn't add up to Rahab. Let's keep going. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. I hope this morning at the end, we don't resolve this tension. I hope we leave thinking, is the Bible confused? Because next week we're going to resolve it. But turn with me to the book of Daniel. And it's so interesting how we read these stories and we celebrate them growing up, but then we get into sometimes more refined circles and we read Romans 13 and we think, well, but now is the time to submit to the governing authorities. Somebody this week I was talking to about this and they said, well, which one, the president or my mayor? The governor or the mayor? Well, that's a good question. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 and verses 4 to 6. Let's start there. And I'm wanting us to go through this in the Bible. This isn't going to be, we're not going to be here for a long time. I just want you to see these so that you can say, yep, it wasn't just that smooth talker on the stage. It's actually in my book too. So verse 4. <clears throat> God has allowed Israel to be taken as slaves to another nation. And strangely enough, he says it's for their own good. While they're there, the king is, is sought after by God. Again, someone who is vile, nasty, rude, crude, does the most terrible things in the world, known as literally the terrible. And God is saying, I want to talk to you while you're sleeping. I want to get your attention. I want to show you what's coming on the world. And Daniel is there to interpret it. And eventually he's around some of his politicians and they're like, come on, you're the man here. You're the man. Make you a whole image of gold. And so we finally find ourselves at that point in the story, I am great. Let's make 
a golden image whose height is 60 cubits. And he brings everybody down to the plain of Dura. And here we go in verse 4. Then a herald cried out to all the crowd, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. In verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. The king has made a declaration. And now everyone has the opportunity. Do I submit to the governing authorities or do I follow conscience? And turn with me now down a few verses to verse 12. There's three individuals we know from this Bible story among what could be thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And on the stage, they look out and they see these three Hebrew boys. And they say to the king, hey, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image you have set up. We go down to verse 16. They answer the king because he comes at them and says, hey, are you confused on how this works? I play the music, you bow down. Get it? And they respond to him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, that you're going to kill us and throw us into the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, We do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Does Jesus prevent them from the crisis there? No. He goes right into that fiery trial with them, and the king recognizes it. How did the Son of God get in there with these guys? So this is the third. Yeah, there's four people in there. So how do we reconcile this? That's our third. Let's go over a little bit, because let's not forget Daniel. As it relates with all these examples, this is probably the best in all of Scripture, Daniel chapter 6. Because Daniel is is arguably overseeing the realm. He's the COO. He's number two. He's the prime minister. And in Daniel chapter 6, this is a story where these guys who work with the king said, hey, we got an idea. You're amazing. You're so awesome. We want to make a law that nobody worships anyone, anything but you for a certain time period. What do you think of that? Well, if you had somebody come to you and say, wow, that sounds pretty good. Worship me, like make pictures of me, posters, like they want my autograph, sign their babies. Like that's what we're talking about for a little bit. Yes. Yes, I want that. And so he signs this decree. Yep. Nobody prays to anyone. Nobody does anything. You worship as the government tells you to worship. And then these men go off because they know there's a habit of this one guy who pretty much is in all the important meetings. He's in everywhere that's important in society. And Daniel has this custom three times a day where he takes a break. He goes out to his balcony. He opens the windows towards Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees and he just prays, Lord, 
Thank you for this day. I'm leading a nation, an empire. This is a wild situation. Give me wisdom today. Well, during this prayer time, they knew he'd do it. These politicians run back to the king. Hey, king, remember you said that law? Well, guess what? Daniel is breaking the law. And then the king feels so terrible because the king realizes, and they start to throw it back at him. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man, in verse 12, within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter, So we had an example in Egypt. We had an example in Jericho. We had an example in Babylon. And we had an example in Medo-Persia. Submit to the government. And what is the example we see over and over again? Something that seems like God is smiling on, well, unless it conflicts with conscience. And then we get into the Newer Testament, because some, some like to petition the idea, hey, well, the New Testament, though, that gets rid of all the old. Just give me the new. And in the new, we read in Acts chapter 5, you want to turn there with me, Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. So now we're in another era. And in this era... These apostles have been told by the governing authorities, do not preach about Jesus. Okay? What's their response? Verse 29. And let me go to verse 28, just so we're clear. Did, this is the governing authorities. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Verse 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Or I'd like to interpret that a little. When the laws of man come in conflict with my conscience, my relationship with God, and the laws of God, I have to choose this side. It's just what I have to do. So you can see there's some tension here because Romans 13 is pretty clear. Romans 13, let's turn there one more time because we're going to close here. Romans 13, I'm going to read the New King James this time. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So TJ, the government has made a law, and Abe, you need to follow it. You got a Bible. You read this clearly. Don't give me none of that conscience stuff. You have a Bible. We have a law. Obey the law. Your God told you he invested us with the authority to govern you. Because, hey, therefore, whoever resists the authority... I like this version uses authority. The other uses power. Next week, we're going to see what does this word really mean? Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist 
will bring judgment on themselves. Can you imagine if we don't understand this concept, how easy it will be for someone to come into your life, sit you down, and explain a thing or two to you? And just read you these verses. Rulers are not a terror to good works, Pablo. But to evil, Brendan, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Well, Rick, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. It's very clear. I don't even have to tell you my words. I'm reading your Bible. Thank you for sharing your Bible with, with me, and get in line. Is that fair? We understand the situation? Now, now this is interesting. In 1889, one of those pioneers of Adventism, Ellen White, writes something pretty interesting. Prophecy, I'm quoting, from a magazine called The Review and Herald. Prophecy represents Protestantism as having lamb-like horns, but speaking like a dragon. Already we are beginning to hear the voice of the dragon. Let not the commandment-keeping people of God be silent at this time. There is the prospect before us of waging a continuous war at the risk of imprisonment, of losing property and even life itself to defend the law of God, which is being made void by the laws of men. And then listen to this. This Bible text will be quoted to us. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. The powers that be are ordained of God. The Greek word used for power quoted in Romans 13 may not be what we think it is. So next week, we're going to talk about that. But I pray that this will encourage you to know Scripture has something deeper that we've got to dig for, that we've got to really understand, or we can easily be manipulated by people with power, in power, assuming power, taking something you and I trust, And if we don't understand it, we could naturally think, yeah, Adolf, you're right. I will do what you tell me to do. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.